Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Benjamin Weicker, Professor of Political Science at Franciscan University of Steubenville, giving a talk entitled, Disestablishing Secularism Through Reestablishing the University. Professor Weicker's talk was part of Challenging the Secular Culture Conference at Franciscan University of Steubenville. I'm going to begin for a very good reason, which you'll find out with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear God, may your Holy Spirit guide us in this and all things. We pray through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I say that prayer at the beginning of all my lectures in uh, class, something I couldn't do at Secular University, and so I'm proud to do that now. Uh, I am going to begin, this is an awful, it's like I'm checking my email, excuse me, no. Uh, something sent to me, are these things awful or what? Something sent to me yesterday, I didn't have time to incorporate it in the lecture, and yes, I have cut out parts of my lecture so I could read this. Uh, but this is from Larry Taunton at Fixed Point, uh, one of my friends, and I work with him uh, also collaborating on uh, uh, various projects. And this best sets up the, what I have to argue uh, in this uh, all too short lecture, so I'm going to get right into it. Um, he has a son at Yale University who just graduated last year uh, from Yale Law School. That's the setup. So here's Larry Taunton. Last May, my wife and I traveled to New Haven, Connecticut for the graduation of our oldest son, Michael, from Yale Law School. At the reception following the ceremony, he introduced me to a number of his professors and classmates. With so much litigation surrounding issue of gay marriage, then as now, the topic inevitably came up as students, their parents, and professors stood around sipping cocktails. As one might expect, the mood in the environment was decidedly pro-gay marriage. As we peeled away from one such gathering, Michael made the observation, attend carefully, Yale Law is the most powerful legal institution in the world, and it has consciously and deliberately used its endowment, its prestige, and its political clout to recruit the best and the brightest in order to pool their talents and focus them for a singular purpose, the legalization of gay marriage. Larry continues after his son has spoken. This was a revelation. I mean, it was certainly no shock to discover that law, Yale Law was a bastion of liberalism or that it largely recruited like-minded people, but I'd never thought of it as something quite so organized, so purposeful as that. Its liberal bent was, I thought, more incidental to the institution than orchestrated. Voicing this to Michael, his reply was chilling. Oh no, it's been very purposeful. Activist students have been systematically chosen and then trained to construct plausible legal arguments for the advancement of gay marriage. And now, having largely carried the day on that issue, the law school is retooling to take down the last major bulwark of legal resistance to their social agenda, religious freedom. I couldn't have made a better introduction. Now listen. <laughs> I must first make clear that, again, the, the, the um, title of the lecture is Disestablishing Secularism Through Reestablishing the University. And I'm going to stick close to text so we get our time uh, right with the amount of questions we want to ask. I must first make clear the assumptions and arguments that define the title, Disestablishing Secularism Through Reestablishing the University. I have argued for them more extensively in my book, Worshiping the State. Obviously, I understand secularism to be something that has somehow been established. 
established in the real legal sense, as in the establishment of one religion as the religion of the state, but also in the sense of ideas and arguments established institutionally, as in the ideas and arguments of modern secular liberalism becoming established as dominant in European and American universities. Now there's an important connection between these two senses of establishment. The latter is in great part the cause of the former, that is, it was largely through the establishment of secularism in the universities of Europe in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, and then of America in the 19th and the 20th centuries, that secular liberalism became in the United States the government-supported, legally imposed, constitutionally mandated, official worldview functioning exactly like a state religion in the 20th and now the 21st centuries. Therefore, in order to disestablish secularism in both senses, we must reestablish the university. Since universities were central in the triumph of the secular revolution, then they should be equally effective in launching a counter-revolution. Now, to make clear how comprehensive a task I'm advocating, in particular why the university is so important in the counter-revolution against established secularism, we may begin with a definition of secularism, or more properly, secular liberalism. By secularism, I mean modern secularism, the centuries-long attempt to remove Christianity as the dominant source of authority defining our understanding of God, nature, human nature, rationality, and the human good. At the strategic center of the secularization was, and still is, a thorough of this worldly thoroughgoing materialism that has liberated, hence liberalism, liberated Western society from Christianity by destroying its foundational assumptions that God, angels, and the human immaterial soul exist, that miracles are possible, and that there is an afterlife, that is, heaven and hell, where ultimate rewards and punishments are dealt out. Undermining these foundations allowed for the secular liberation from Christianity's moral, intellectual, legal, and cultural authority. The successive and successful attempts at liberation from Christianity in philosophy, in literature, in biblical studies, in theology, in political philosophy, in the social sciences, in drama, in law, in music, or in the materialist-defined sciences, together constitute the comprehensive transformation that drove forward the secularization in the West. While secularization in each of these disciplines may have arisen separately, each with its own particular history, they are all gathered together in the modern university. All share one common feature, the desire to remove Christianity and replace it by an entirely this-worldly materialist understanding of reality unencumbered by Christian theological and moral dogma. To say it in its most terse form, Secularization is de-Christianization, that is, liberation from Christianity. That liberation is at the heart of modern secular liberalism at the, and at the heart of the modern secularized university. I emphasize this last point because it's all too often overlooked what this implies. Modern secularization is not simply or essentially the denial of the existence of gods. Historically, modern secularization took place within a Christianized culture. Therefore, it defined itself primarily against Christianity. 
against the particular religion that it was trying to remove. Not Buddhism, not Hinduism, Islam, or some generalized theism, but Christianity. Secularism's struggle against Christianity therefore defined its positive form. Modern secularism is therefore not defined primarily by the denial of the existence of God, but by the denial of the existence of God as understood through Christianity. From every disciplinary angle, the modern university is defined by that very denial. This important fact helps explain why secular activists, both in and outside the university, uh, since the Enlightenment so often hold up non-Western religions for approbation even while they attack Christianity. To use a contemporary example, it helps explain the very odd and otherwise baffling hearty affirmation of defense in Islam today, especially in the universities, uh, by the secular left, even while it continues to attack Christianity as the source of evil and conflict in the world. As I just noted, the affirmation of Islam by secular thinkers is not new. It began in the Enlightenment as part of their strategy of elevating non-Christian religions so as to demote Christianity from its central place in the West. The modern secular university is heir to that tradition, effusively affirming every religion, including Islam, even while it systematically denigrates Christianity and Christian students. I note these things to help us understand more clearly the depth of the challenge that faces Christians in our secularized culture, and hence how difficult it will be to challenge secularism in turn. Modern secularism is defined by the desire to remove Christianity itself. That means its assumptions, its structures, its goals are essentially constituted by the negation of Christianity. And this negation historically constituted the modern secular university. Again, that helps explain why all too many universities today, and not just avowedly secular universities, but the Christian universities that imitate them, are not just indifferent, but actively hostile to Christianity. That hostility is secularism's negation of Christianity institutionalized, and hence established in the various disciplines from philosophy, psychology, sociology, literature, religious studies, and legal studies to the so-called hard sciences, biology, chemistry, and physics. Since all these disciplines now authoritatively define our culture, we cannot challenge secularism in our culture without challenging directly and deeply the intellectual disciplines at the modern secular university, which gives secular liberal liberalism its authority to transform the culture according to its characteristic aims. Now let me offer a, a few uh, quick examples to make clear how the secular intellectual revolution authorizes cultural transformation that is from the university to society. If reductionist psychology is correct and human beings really are entirely defined by DNA and neurology, then Christianity's claims about the human immaterial soul are entirely groundless and therefore should not have any cultural authority any more than the belief in fairies. If biology really can be reduced to chemistry and human beings truly are an unintended effect of blind evolution, then giving human beings special moral status is both arbitrary and unwarranted and therefore has no place in law. If there is no natural ground of morality which provides a natural standard for law, then we are stuck with secular liberalism's positivist account of law where competing but arbitrary rights claims battle it out in a moral void defined only by utilitarianism and hedonism. 
If the American Psychiatric Association is correct that, contrary to 2,000 years of Christianity, homosexuality is not disordered, but in fact healthy, and the gay marriage, including children however produced, is indeed as good or better than heterosexual monogamy, then Christianity's opposition to gay marriage is entirely irrational and unsupportable. If the modern historical critical method is correct in eliminating miracles and reducing biblical studies to cultural and intellectual history, then again, scriptural authority at the basis of Christian arguments are without foundation. Now, we could continue in each one of these disciplines taught in the modern secular university, and we must add again almost all Christian universities that imitate them. But the point should be clear enough. The modern secular university is unified through its disciplines, largely by intellectual and assumptions and approaches that in one way or another provide the authority for de-Christianizing culture. The secular culture cannot be challenged until that intellectual authority emanating from the modern secular university is called into question by an even more thorough and rigorous discipline by discipline, deeply rational and systematic set of counter arguments. Remember that. <laughs> we'll come back to that. To help us understand even more clearly why this is so, that is why disestablishing secularism in the culture must occur in great part through disestablishing secularism in the university, we may turn to the history of the university itself. It is not news, I assume, that universities were an invention of Christianity, that is specifically of Catholicism in the Middle Ages. There is no need to go over this well-known historical fact, except that it is a fact that is not well-known at most universities, even in especially Catholic ones. In short, Catholicism established the university, and it did so long before modern secularism arrived on the historical scene. That indubitable fact puts modern secular or secularized universities in an interesting predicament, or should put them in one. They cannot tell the true history of the very intellectual institution in which they so comfortably carry on the secular revolution, because that would call into question one of the cherished assumptions of modern secularism, that Christianity is irrational and even anti-rational. The truth is that the original assumptions of the university as developed about 800 years ago by the church and in a Christianized culture are that human beings are rational, that the world in all its complexity is intelligible, that human speech can be used as a real vehicle for communicating truth, and that the truths of the faith do not conflict with the truths of reason because the same God who made the intelligible world, the God who created human beings in his image, also redeemed the world. That is why the first universities taught the trivium and quadrivium as the foundation of all their learning. That is, grammar, logic, rhetoric, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. That was taught before students could advance to higher level studies like theology. The assumption was that all, this, that all study of truth leads ultimately to the source of truth, so we should have nothing to fear seeking the truth, truth wherever it is found on the natural level. This education in the Middle Ages was, mo was the most systematic and wide-reaching the world had ever known. Far from attacking reason, the church was the source of its unprecedented expansion in the culture. Prior to the invention of the university, only a relative handful of people would have access to this kind of education. 
But in the Middle Ages, not just a few hundred, but hundreds of thousands of people from all over Europe and from all social classes passed through Europe's universities. Moreover, secularist historians are, historians are fond of claiming that it was only in the 17th century that the intellectual enlightenment occurred that formed the foundation of modern science. The truth is that the astronomical and mathematical accomplishments of the 17th century were possible only because of the European widespread of mathematical and astronomical knowledge in the previous four centuries. But while universities started out as Christian and were Christian for many centuries, they were slowly transformed in Europe through the spread of the Enlightenment's anti-Christian assumptions and arguments so that by the 19th century, Germany was considered the home of the most prestigious universities in Europe, and these universities were deeply defined by the most radical Enlightenment thought. It is important to note that this radicalization in the German universities was spearheaded in the early 1800s by the incorporation of the new critical scholarship in theology and biblical studies, that is, by thoroughly liberalized Christianity. By liberalized Christianity, I mean one whose biblical and doctrinal foundations were being undermined by the secular philosophical assumption championed in the 17th and 18th centuries that the purely material foundations of reality make miracles impossible. This materialist assumption arising in philosophy defined the new approach to science, which in turn authorized what can accurately be called the secularization of scripture among theologians and biblical scholars. That is, the systematic removal of miracles, the denial of the divinity of Christ, the denial of the resurrection, and the subsequent dismissal of all doctrines based upon them. Once the supernatural source of Christianity's authority had been gutted, secularization, that is, dechristianization, of all the other academic disciplines could proceed without any obstacles in the university. The comprehensive intellectual secularization then authorized, even demanded, the secularization of the culture itself. How does this all connect to our American culture and our American universities historically? In America, there weren't any graduate schools for most of the 1800s, but rather only colleges still defined by their Protestant origins and goals. Because of this, Americans in the 19th century seeking PhDs had to go to Germany, the initial wave being those in the first half of the 19th century who were seeking theology degrees. They brought the latest radical thought from Germany's universities back to America even before the Civil War. In the latter half of the 19th century, successive waves of Americans seeking PhDs in all the other disciplines would return to found Americans' graduate schools based upon the German model and staff them with newly minted PhDs with radical enlightenment assumptions. In America, then, the secular takeover of our intellectual institutions was not gradual or modest, like a man getting a new hat, but abrupt and decisive, like a man getting an entirely new head, a secular head. So it was that secular liberalism became established in our American universities. The essential assumption underneath this establishment was again that all of reality is entirely material and hence Christianity cannot be true. Since it is false, it is therefore a positive hindrance to society's progress. That is why it must be disestablished. 
Disestablishing Christianity meant establishing or reestablishing each discipline in America's newly minted graduate schools, that is by the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, uh, establishing or reestablishing each discipline upon the secular assumptions that had been guiding the radical Enlightenment secularist project in Europe for two sections, two, I'm sorry, two centuries. The rejection of Christianity through secular materialist assumptions became the unifying goal of America's graduate schools, defining the meaning of intellectual progress. However fractured and fractious the various disciplines have become in our modern secular university, however deep their disagreements with each other, they agree on one thing, the one thing that defines the modern secular university. Whatever is true, and perhaps nothing is true, at least we know that Christianity is false. Now we've seen in historical overview how universities have moved from being a Christian invention to an institution formed by the desire to remove Christianity from its central position defining our culture. In both cases, the university was at the very intellectual center defining the culture. In the first case, in the Middle Ages, helping alongside the church to establish Christian culture. In the second case, acting as the authoritative intellectual source for wide-scale cultural secularization. Hence my wanting to read about Yale Law School. As long as secularized universities have that central intellectual and hence cultural authority, they will continue to act as one of the greatest challenges to Christianity. Although challenge is not strong enough of a, of a description since secularism aims at the destruction of Christianity. And that is why secularism must be disestablished through reestablishing the university. Now here I do not mean merely starting a number of new Christian universities because the real focus is not the university itself, but what is taught in it. Many well-intentioned Christians do not understand the depth of the secular intellectual revolution, so they often try to build upon intellectual assumptions that were designed to eliminate Christianity. Merely focusing on starting a university that is staffed by Christians misses the true and truly daunting nature of the task that faces Christians today. Since the modern secularized university has produced a prodigious amount of scholarship supporting its assumptions and goals, it is not just a matter of substituting Christians for secularists in the classrooms, but of overturning the intellectual authority of secularism by a thoroughgoing and honest critique of its assumptions, its goals, and all the scholarship that flows from them in each of the disciplines in the university. And that brings us to a question I have purposely avoided until now, that is. Does disestablishing the secular university mean explicitly reestablishing the university on Christian foundations? The answer is no, and then yes. The answer is no, because they have, as we have seen in the founding of the original universities, Christianity maintains that truth cannot contradict truth because the same God who created the world also redeemed it. Therefore, and here's the real challenge that Christianity should make to secularism, the honest and deep search for truth in any discipline will show that secularism is fundamentally flawed, both in its assumptions and its goals, and hence in significant aspects of its intellectual output. But the answer is also yes, 
In the deepest sense, if Christianity is right about its foundations in God, nature, human nature, rationality, and the human good, then all honest and deep searching in the various disciplines will, over time, reestablish Christianity as the guiding light of the university. In a more practical sense, the answer is yes, because it is only within the Christian university that faculty and students will have the freedom to challenge secularism. But let us not forget the deeper sense. If secularism is wrong, then it must, be, it must necessarily distort truth. If modern secularism really is defined essentially by its rejection of Christianity, then correcting its distortions leads back to the affirmation, directly or indirectly, of its antithesis, Christianity itself. This reestablishing of Christianity at the heart of the university is not, I must make clear, a whitewashing of its history. Sometimes the truth hurts, but it is still the truth, and it must be taught. Now, looking at the time and thinking, what can I do? I think I can do some things on the end of this. I want to let about 20, 15, 20 minutes, but here we go. I do not want this all to remain a general battle cry, a general battle cry of which I am the general. So I will offer some very particular ways and very particular disciplines by which some headway could be made in intellectually disestablishing secularism on the highest academic levels and therefore reestablishing the university on its proper foundations. I want to begin with a revolutionary approach to the teaching of history. I, I do this more thoroughly in worshiping the state. Um, a revolutionary approach to the teaching of history. Why don't we teach history as what actually happened? <laughs> it could work. And begin this story with the history of the university itself. The secular enlightenment account of Christianity declares it to be the source of irrational darkness aimed at suppressing intellectual development. An honest and deep inquiry into the history of the university would have to investigate what precisely it was about the central doctrines of Christianity that allowed the birth and development of the university centuries before modern secularism arose. There is no other way to understand the origin of the university historically. But this investigation could not help but immerse students in history classes and a positive inquiry into Christian doctrines, which in turn could not help but undermine the secular assumption that Christianity and its doctrines are antithetical to reason. But let us add the history of science to our agenda. Since the universities were the source of the developments in mathematics and astronomy that grounded modern science, and as many historians in the last 25 years have amply shown modern science has its roots in multiple advances made in the Middle Ages, then teaching the history of science demands that we treat Christianity not as the enemy of science, but as, but as is actually the historical case once we remove the secularist distortions and tell what really happened, the original source of science. Students who study the history of science must then ask questions now forbidden to them in secular universities because with what is about, beginning with, what is it about Christianity doctrinally, doctrinally, that we find it as the original friend and not enemy of science? We might do this as opposed to what happened in Islam in the Middle Ages. That would be even more politically incorrect. And even more embarrassing for secularism, what is it about modern secularism that made it bent on obscuring the fact of the origins of modern science 
What is it that it taught history this way in distorting the truth? There must be something at the root of secularism that causes this distortion that itself needs rooted out. I'm skipping a section on modern or, or on warfare in history because that's more in the history department. Let's go to psychology and the social sciences. And here I'd like to refer to Robert Riley's uh, book, Making Gay Okay. I think his talk was yesterday. Uh, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is cha uh, Changing Everything. As Riley documents in significant detail, the secularist attempt to push the gay agenda, including gay marriage, depends in a great part on psychologists ignoring or suppressing data that would undermine the attempt to normalize ho uh, homosexuality. That's intellectual dishonesty in the academy. This normalizing enforces the legal and social destruction of the Christian natural law understanding of sexuality. To make some headway in academically disestablishing secularist assumptions and goals in this area, psychologists, psychologists at least at the beginning, do not need to affirm the Nicene Creed or even the existence of the soul. They might just begin by admitting that, as Riley documents, the official change in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual from classifying homosexuality as a disorder to affirming it as normal and healthy in the 1970s was the result of crude politicking by homosexual activists rather than clinical evidence. Since then, psychologists are just as crudely pressured in, in academia and in clinical practice to suppress or ignore evidence that homosexuality is self-destructive or that it is reversible. What is needed for the disestablishment of this aspect of the secular sexual revolution in psychology is the academic freedom to investigate these very questions thoroughly and publish the results freely. Riley helpfully includes uh, some of the research in this area, but much more needs to be done, and the more it is done, the more the secularism will be disestablished in the university and then the culture. Speaking of disestablishment, there is much work that could be done in our law schools and political science departments in investigating the actual history of how it is that our First Amendment, or a very small snippet of it, the so-called Establishment Clause, became the judicial foundation for the national government's campaign to actively de-Christianize every aspect of our culture using national government power. The source of the notion that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion means that the national government must actively erect a wall of separation between church and state is not in the Constitution or the First Amendment itself. But it arises from the secularist view of law imported from Europe to our new established law schools in the early 20th century, in the early 20th century, and then imposed on the text. That is a follow, as we can understand through following the history of the universities. It represents one more imposition of the Enlightenment notion that social progress means the removal of Christianity. In this case, one, as I said, arbitrarily imposed on the text of the First Amendment rather than derived from it or the Constitution. Much the same could be said intellectually, that is through an intellectual history in, the, in, in academia, of the Supreme Court's invention of the right to privacy and its use of this invention in pushing contraception, abortion, and homosexuality. The point here is that a deep and wide cultural history that investigates the intellectual and social background of such immensely influential high court decisions as Everson versus Board of Education, Griswold versus Connecticut, Roe v. Wade, 
and Lawrence v. Texas, demonstrates that the court's power in redefining our culture is not based upon its alleged legal authority to interpret the Constitution, but merely represents all too plainly the abuse of intellectual authority for the sake of carrying out a secular revolution. The academic unmasking of that abuse would go a long way in disestablishing the judicial power which academic secularists use as an intermediary to impose their views on the public through the judiciary. Again, that's why I read the thing about Yale Law School. It would also go a long way in reestablishing the common law and natural law foundations of our legal system, if only by exposing to light and hence to criticism on the deepest level of the utilitarian and positivist views that generally govern secular liberal legal theorists and law schools like Yale. I mentioned above how important it was in the secularization of German universities to have the theological foundations of Christianity significantly softened to allow the way for secularizing the academy. So it was through this, uh, the, the imposition of the modern historical uh, critical method in the universities that the rest of the secularism could follow suit intellectually, had the authority to do that. So as a result of this, most universities have at best now religion departments that treat, treat uh, Christianity as one more religion, which is neither true or false. And at worst, they have biblical studies departments, like at Vanderbilt, where I got my PhD, not to name names that actively destroy any possibility that scripture contains any truth revealed or otherwise. Disestablishing secularism therefore necessitates a thoroughgoing critique of the historical critical method in order to unearth its assumptions as well as its hidden goals. In recent years, some headway has been made in this area, for the most part, by philosophers and historians outside the discipline of theology, as it hasn't made much headway in biblical studies. In this case, disestablishing secularism academically requires an extensive analysis of the history of biblical scholarship, especially insofar as it was formed not by the demands of the biblical text itself, but by the questionable secular assumptions that were brought to the text by exegetes. Since these assumptions were aimed at disestablishing Christianity culturally, as Scott Hahn and I have argued extensively in a book, Politicizing the Bible, questioning the caliber of these assumptions opens up the possibility of a renewal of scriptural authority, one that takes into account whatever is true and valuable in the historical critical method and leaves behind the corrosive secular assumptions and goals. Finally, we have seen that in the, establishment of secular, uh, the establishment of secularism was only made possible by establishing the authority of a comprehensive materialistic worldview, one that was grounded in a materialist account of nature. If this materialistic worldview is not called into question academically, that is, by the faculty of philosophy and history departments, and biology, chemistry, and physics departments, then the, the authoritative foundation of modern secularism will remain intact, and all that is inferred from that foundation in the various academic disciplines will remain largely impervious to criticism. Here, disestablishment is a gargantuan and delicate task. What is not needed is the declaration that science is evil because it now happens to be and has been for some time materialistically defined. Nor do we want to embrace the simplistic rejection of evolution. That's not Catholic. 
nor do we want to insert either souls or God himself into perceived gaps in a materialist scientific framework. If what I have said above is correct, that Christians have nothing to fear from the truth about nature because God is the author of both nature and revolution, of revelation, whoa, then the deepest, most thorough examinations of any aspect of nature should affirm, not destroy the faith. Christians should therefore be better biologists, better chemists, and better physicists, just as they should be more honest and thorough historians. They should be able to take all the latest advances in any science and advance them still further, precisely because they believe, both through faith and through the ever deeper penetration of nature by human reason, that the world is both deeply ordered and deeply intelligible, indeed made to be understood by human reason. Some headway has been made in this area, but much more needs to be done. And I have a footnote there where the headway is. Please understand that I'm not listing all of these areas, all these disciplines that I just went through as scattered possibilities. As I'm giving you particular uh, headway in, in particular disciplines that I didn't even go through all the disciplines. These are merely indications of a yet-to-be-realized effort to reestablish the unified understanding of reality that originally and rightly should define the university. Again, I am not calling for the mere replacement of secularist approaches by Christian-friendly approaches, but for a kind of head-on intellectual confrontation where, if I am right, the Christian understanding of reality will show itself rationally superior to the secular view that now governs the academic disciplines. It is in demonstrating its superior ability to defend and discover truth that Christianity will ultimately disestablish secularism and reestablish Christianity as the intellectual foundation of the university. Then, through its well-earned authority, Christianity will be able to disestablish secularism in the culture as well. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.